Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze all of your favorite pop stars and then rank them in the official Pop Pantheon. I am your host, DJ Louis the Fourteenth. Quickly up top, make sure that you follow us on social media at Pop Pantheon Pod. Follow me at DJ L O U I E X I V on both Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you get in our Discord. The links for that are on social media and in my bio. And please get in the comment section on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. Let us know who you'd like to see featured on the podcast. I know the contest is over, but we still like to hear from everybody about who you'd like to see us do episodes on. So get in the comments, leave us a rating, leave a rating on Spotify. And with all of that said, let's get into this week's B-side episode, which is our new name for them. These are going to be what we call the off-week episodes from now on. What I'm envisioning these as are episodes that cover things that are somewhat tangential or related to the Pantheon. Not about necessarily like covering an entire artist's career like the main episodes do, but provide some sort of added layers or textures to our understanding of pop and thus of the pop pantheon. So as you know, in the past, we've done episodes on Super Bowl performances. We've done episodes on the Grammys. We've done episodes on albums that have come out by artists that we've already covered. So I could see these going lots of different ways, but that's what these are going to be. B-sides to the pop pantheon, if that makes sense. For this week's episode, we've been getting like inundated with people that want us to reflect on or share and update on all of the rankings we've done so far and like get a refresher a little bit on the tier system. So that's what this episode's going to be about. It's going to be about refreshing people on what the tier system is, how it works, and also reflecting on literally all the artists that we've ranked so far in the Pantheon. Before I get into explaining any more, I want to welcome podcast helper. What are we calling you these days, Russ? <laughs> Russ. I think that we've settled on a gay schemer here at Pantheon. <laughs> it's Russ Martin. Russ is my podcast associate who helps keep this ship from sinking every single week. And you might remember him from our mailbag episode. He's here today. Russ, welcome back to the show. Hi, Louie. Happy to be back. I'm always happy to have you back and to see your face on a Zoom. Uh, so, Louie, I want also to say happy birthday to the Pop Pantheon. It has been just over one year since you started Pop Pantheon. Wow. And what a year it has been. I was thinking about it. And year one is kind of like your first era as a pop star. So you have just completed your baby one more time or your the fame. What has year one of the podcast been like for you? It's been incredible. I mean, if I may like overshare a little bit, I mean, I don't know, honestly, how interested people are in me or whatever, but I had this idea like during a bit of like a, a dark moment during the pandemic when my DJ career was completely upside down and I had no gigs and I didn't know what the fuck I was doing with my life. And I wrote down like on a manifestation list that I was doing in this workshop. I won't get into the hooky kooky shit that I was doing at the time. But I wrote down, like, I'm giving myself a year with this podcast, and in a year, I want it to feel worthwhile either because, I don't know, it's got a bunch of listeners, or I'm just, like, deeply connecting with other like-minded pop friends that make it feel worth it. So the fact that both of those things have happened in a way that, like, was so beyond anything that I ever imagined when I was starting this, I mean, I almost, like, don't have the words to express how grateful I am for that. So, yeah, I mean, the other thing is just 
it's definitely been a lot of work and maybe more than I even anticipated. So that only like makes me feel even more in awe of the fact that people listen to it and make that all feel worthwhile. You know, it's been just like the most amazing thing to be able to connect with so many like-minded individuals who are also unhealthily obsessed with pop music and pop stars. And I'm continuously floored by the growing number of people that are listening to the show and who are so passionate about all of it. It really makes a true labor of love worthwhile. Wouldn't you say? I would absolutely (laughs) say we have the best audience and it is so fun to have them responding to the episodes. But as you alluded to, we have gained a lot of listeners for this show over the past year and especially so far in 2022. So I wanted to do this little B-side today to talk about the Pop Pantheon with you. And the first thing that I want to ask you is just who you are. I want to make sure that the listeners know who DJ Louie is. For anyone who's new, give yourself a little introduction. Okay, awkward. Um, I am a DJ, as my name connotes. I basically am like a pop music fanatic. I mean, I'm as a DJ, that was always or has always been my oeuvre. And I also used to freelance write about music and do kind of music criticism on the side. And I've just always been really obsessed with analyzing, thinking about picking apart pop music, pop stars. And I really had always been looking for like a forum in order to place the way that I had thought about pop stars into some sort of like system, I think. And so that was how my DJ life connected to starting this show. And for those who live in Los Angeles, you are actually back in real life throwing parties again, right? Uh, Where can people go to dance along with you if they live somewhere close enough to Los Angeles to get there? Well, they will have just missed my first installment of my new party, which is happening or which happened <laughs> last Friday. It actually hasn't <laughs> happened yet, but but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be recurring. I think we'll have more info soon on when the second installment will be. I think it's going to be very soon. Yes. And like, if you enjoy the podcast, you will enjoy seeing me DJ because they're one and the same. They are both a reflection of my disgusting admiration for pop stars. So it's just two sides of the same coin, more or less, Russ. So stay tuned for more details on the Pop Pantheon parties coming up mm-hmm. and watch out on the, the Discord. Follow DJ Louie, the 14th XIV on social media to make <laughs> sure that you don't miss that. Louie, I want you to take me all the way back in the time machine to the start of 2021. Okay. How'd you get the idea for this podcast in the first place? Well, actually, it began in the New York Times podcast Facebook group. I was hopping in there periodically. It is, uh, I talked about this with Joe Coscarelli, who is obviously a frequent guest on that show. And it is really a good message board. I mean, I personally think the Pop Pantheon Discord is displacing it as the best place online for informed pop discussion, but still a good message board. And basically, I had always really like had this tier idea in my head. It's something I had talked about a lot with friends and other sort of like pop music fanatics like myself, I had posited this idea of Bob Sortum in tier systems to other friends who 
are also obsessed and everybody seemed to enjoy the game. Like it really felt like people got a kick out of debating this and trying to figure out who fit into what tier. And I do think that like pop music and pop stars in general have become almost like sports in a sense online. I mean, I... What do I know about sports? But I think for people that are obsessed with pop music, I do think that pop music has become a fun thing to debate and to compare and contrast within the community in the way that I think sports is for many people that are fans of that. If you are fans of that, I mean, I, what do I know about that again? But I had noticed that as a growing trend and it spoke directly to me in the way that I like to contextualize and think about sort of the macro picture of my favorite pop culture thing, which is pop stars. Like, how does it all fit together? How do they stack up? But not in a Stan Warsy mean-spirited way. I've never wanted this to be like that at all. I've always said to every guest, like, this is not about any sort of, like, Stan Wars tearing people down. I'm not into any of that stuff. But I do think it's an interesting part of criticism to contextualize things with one another. And that is kind of like the way that I think people who like sports often interact with sports. So there's some sort of commonality. And I posited this one day, like, think totally randomly. I mean, I was in pandemic mode. My DJ career was completely on ice. That's why I was spending so much time in the, in the New York Times podcast Facebook group. And I literally like on a whim just like wrote out this system that I had had in my head all of these years and was like, hey guys, like here's how I think about, you know, pop stardom sometimes like in this system of tears. And anyway, I just put like some very nascent ideas of like what each tier entailed and it led to a very very lively debate that went on for like weeks in that group and I don't really know but I think I had also been like how can I start a podcast about music that has a point of view I guess and that has sort of a fun hook to it and somehow it all clicked for me in that particular moment and literally like I don't know the next month I just just started doing it so that was how the podcast came to fruition. This feels like a good time to explain what exactly a pantheon is so in preparing for this episode I found two definitions of the word pantheon. Can I read them to you Louis? Sure. (laughs) I'm like worried that it's it's going to like disprove the entire premise of the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, number one is a group of particularly respected, famous, or important people. Okay, that works. Yes. So Kesha, Selena Gomez. Yes. Respected. <laughs> important. Uh, debatable, but sure. <laughs> And number two brings to mind the wonderful artwork for this podcast. It is a temple or building that is dedicated to the heroes and heroines of a nation. Shout out to Juan Pilar. You should definitely hire him for stuff. He does all of the artwork for the show every week. He's like makes these beautiful, I don't know if you, what do you call them? Drawings, graphics of every single star we feature. They're they're like works of art. Yeah, I would probably call them illustrations. Illustrations. (laughs) Yes. There's this one particular illustration that is built like a temple and it has all of these pop figures on them. Yeah. So far we have Rihanna, Celine Dion, Missy Elliott, all of these heroines. We're a little low on heroes. What do you think, Louis? I think we're really low on heroes and it's not intentional. Every time people describe the podcast or like a lot of times I'll read tweets or whatever and people are like... Yeah, this podcast it taxonomizes the pop universe and it's mostly women. On the one hand, obviously, yes, like I'm gay. And I do think pop is refreshingly a very female-centric profession, at least for the front-facing stars. And so I get that the episodes are mostly women-oriented, but I want to tell you, and Russ, I think you can 
testify to this. We are trying to get episodes on men done all the time. We really are. It's fascinating because we approach guests in different ways. Sometimes we're like approaching them because they've written something amazing about a particular artist or we feel like they're an expert in a particular artist. And sometimes we just approach guests that we want to have on the show and are like, hey, who do you want to talk about? And we try to figure out something that works for the show and for their passion. And I don't know what it is like for the last six months or whatever. It's just been like very, very hard to get people to come on the show and talk about men. I mean, our last episode was about ABBA, so that's at least half men. (laughs) But, you know, I don't know. There's many men I would like to do episodes on. And we do have at least a couple episodes coming up that feature men. So (laughs) we have not all men. Men deserve some representation. I don't know. Uh, We will be filling out the Pantheon with more heroes in the near future, so stay tuned. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Louis, does this feel right, the word Pantheon? Is there anything you'd like to add to what the word means in the sonic universe that you've created here for Pop Pantheon? No, I mean, I always think about a Pantheon as, pertains to this anyway, as a altar piece for a certain group of revered individuals or pieces of popular culture. I mean, I could see a pantheon of films. I could see a pantheon of film directors. I could see a pantheon, obviously, of athletes. So yes, you haven't derailed my vision by reading these dictionary definitions of a pantheon. Fantastic. Good. We are still on track then. I think that it is time to run through the criteria. Now, on most uh, main episodes, there will be a bit of a nod to some of the criteria, but you'll often only be looking at one or two different tiers. So I want to remind the listenership of the five tiers of the pop pantheon. It is icons, megastars, mere superstars, working class pop stars, and then everyone else. Plus some others. Plus some others, which we will get to. Don't worry, I have it. Yeah, and I I do (laughs) hope this is informative because we did record a mini-sode like way before the podcast even dropped that explains all this stuff. But A, things have evolved, and B, as Russ mentioned, there's like a significant amount of people that have come on board the podcast in the last few months. And I do think this could be a useful exercise in just refreshing everybody on what all the tiers are about. And maybe talking a little bit how they've changed as I've unfurled the show a little bit and yeah and like maybe getting into some of the stickier problems we've run into that certain artists have highlighted in this system I mean listen the rules were made to be broken and I want to say up top before we even get into all of this I always say to guests and I believe this to be true and also to my friends and whoever like everybody wants to debate this all the time I think the je ne sais quoi of it all trumps all of the rules the rules are there to help situate these people but at the end of the day there can be artists who don't necessarily meet all of these criteria who we just decide because it's obvious for reasons that are beyond rules that they belong in a certain tier so the rules are like a guideline i'd say but it's not like you have to hit all of these requirements or it's done if you belong in a tier you belong in a tier and like sometimes that's just something ethereal so i just want to make sure that's out there uh that is duly noted and added to the record Mm -hmm. there is something elusive about pop stardom and there is an it factor in every single one of these tiers agree do you want to start from the top with the icons or the bottom with the everyone else I think we should start from the top because that helps inform the other ones. All right. The icon tier, the rarefied few, what does it take to be placed in the top 
tier one of the pop pantheon. So this is like the Mount Rushmore. Sorry, not to like mix my archaeological monuments, but like this is really like the most rarefied group of pop stars. And actually, I thought it might be useful. There is a document that I send, and I know people probably know this from just from tangentially listening to the podcast, but there is a very detailed document that gets sent around to all of the guests that describes all the tiers. So I'm going to pull that up right now and just read some of the things that it says. So for the icon tier in tier one, I like do a little graph that sort of summarizes it. And I wrote, this is your legendary, untouchable, timeless pop star, one that has an unimpeachable arsenal of generation-defining hits, cultural touchstones, and has been or was relevant for decades, transcending anything trendy or of the moment. These stars are often mononymous and are known clearly by people who didn't necessarily grow up during their peak and who don't generally interact with pop music and are universally considered icons. And then I added something here, which I know I've referenced in the past, but on our Timberlake episode, the very smart Jordan Sargent pointed out, he was, I think, talking about both tier one and tier two in this instance, but I definitely think this rings true for the icon tier. It's like, if you were gonna summarize the history of pop music in a short amount of time, you know, you didn't have hours and hours of podcasting to like do this. You just maybe needed to like teach a class on pop music and you only had a limited number of hours. You couldn't tell the story of pop music history without mentioning these people. I think that's a really informative criteria to think about tier one. Now, in the first year of Pop Pantheon, you have only put two stars into the icon tier. I'm wondering in your brain, do you have a maximum number? Like, is there 10 living on planet Earth who are icons? Well, to correct the record, because I know this is a controversy, there are a couple other stars that we've put in there in like varying geographical contexts including last week's episode. So no, I don't, there's not a limited number, but it's extremely rarefied. And then the thing that also makes tier one pretty unique is I think all the other tiers are malleable and an artist's standing should be reassessed over time because I think certainly artists can move up. I mean, that's obvious, I think, to people. Like, you're obviously not going to start in tier one. You're going to start somewhere lower, and everyone that's in tier one presumably started in a lower tier and made their way to tier one. And you can also slip, because as numerous episodes have made clear, including the Justin Timberlake episode, that was a great example of an artist who I think, like, really seemed like a solid tier two ten years ago. But now I think maybe feels more like a three. So it's cuspy. So you can definitely move throughout the bottom tiers. This particular tier, one of the criteria that makes it unique is you are set in stone. Like, (laughs) again, the metaphor, it extends in so many ways. But you can't be moved out of this tier. So like, if we're going to decide to put an artist here, and I think this is the barrier to entry that makes this such a rarefied group, your legacy has to be so clear and so untouchable that no amount of decades of irrelevant music, no controversy. Again, I bring this up a lot, but Michael Jackson, great example of somebody who's like clearly alleged to have done things that are absolutely horrifying, but I don't think any rational person would say that he doesn't belong in terms of pop music in this tier. So that's what makes this tier unique and 
difficult to achieve. And there's many pop stars that I think we view as legends who have incredible bodies of work, who have existed, you know, relevantly on some level for many decades, who still don't quite make it here. And so it's not that I have a number in mind. It's just that I'm not taking this lightly. <laughs> This is very serious business, it's and these so are the serious. untouchables. Yes, exactly. All right, category number two, megastars. What can you tell the audience about tier two? So what I describe them as, as this is someone who's had a massive impact over a pretty long span of time, at least a decade or more usually. And I think time is a really relevant aspect to the pop pantheon because one thing that this podcast has only continued to highlight for me as we've made these episodes is that becoming a pop star is one thing, you know, becoming a successful pop star. I mean, that's not easy and very few people do that, but that's one thing. Maintaining a successful pop career beyond six, seven, eight years almost never happens. Even pop stars that have had great success with an album or a number of singles, if you really start to look at them all as we are doing on the show, people lose interest. I mean, nothing is more fickle than popular culture in the social media age in particular, but I think over all of time, we are ready to dump people we're obsessed with pretty quickly as a culture. So what I've discovered in making the show and before I even made the show is that most pop stars, even if they have a giant moment, really it's six, seven, eight years. That's like seems to be the end for the majority of them. And I know, oh my God, like, is he going to say it again? But like, that is the reason why I bring Katy Perry up so often. I really, and it's not <laughs> Not, I think Katie, I mean, I don't, I don't want to even get into it again. I love a lot of things about Katie and I think she's made great music. I think she represents the platonic career trajectory of most pop stars, which is six to eight years, one to three albums. And then it's kind of like your time of being a relevant artist is over. Now, the reason I say all of this is because this is, I think, what separates tier two from the lower tiers and one tangentially. But these stars are for whatever reason deemed not quite in the Mount Olympus, oh my God, here I go again, of this concept, but they've transcended the time thing that I'm talking about here. That's usually the thing. So they're highly relevant for more than a decade. If you can do that as a pop star, you've done something special. If you are having hit music in decade two and people still give a fuck about you beyond just like your core fan base, you've done something remarkable. Like truly, honestly, there's so few stars that really do this. So that's kind of how I think about it, like on a macro level. I mean, we can get into some of the more specific things. Should should we? Yeah, let's hear some of the, the criteria. Yeah. Yes, please. What the doc says is highly relevant, producing at least 15 genuine hit songs over a decade, many of which are highly recognizable to audiences who did not grow up with them. I think this is another important thing that is related to the time question, because all of us love the music that we listened to when we were 10 to 25 or whatever, let's say like that tends to be like people's sweet spot. But I think one of the things that has to be in play here for these upper tiers is that people recognize your music. It's so transcendent in popular culture that people recognize it who didn't grow up with it. For instance, if you play Holiday, a Zoomer is going to know Holiday. I mean, they might not know the details. They might not get it. But if they hear Holiday, like they know that that's a big song that they like probably know by heart. 
So another thing is, you know, that they can also be referred to mononymously. They have one musical era that shifted or defined a certain period of pop. Like, I really see this as also a pretty important thing. I think in order to be in these upper tiers, you have to not just have been successful at pop music, but you also have to have changed it somehow. Like, people need to have looked at you and referenced you and seen you as some sort of turning point or someone that innovated somehow. I really feel like that's a really important aspect of these upper two tiers, too. Like, it's not just about your success. It's about how you shifted the trajectory of popular music or of pop stardom. And that's why I also throw in, this is for both of the upper tiers, the icons maybe have done this multiple times and maybe these tier two people have maybe only pulled this off once. This is maybe one differentiating criteria is a successful reinvention or image overhaul. And I really feel like that's also a pretty crucial thing as I piece this apart, which is when we're talking about that six to eight year period, you're usually running on fumes from the same approach. Like, I don't want to bring her up again. Who can I bring up that's a good example uh, of this? So I think that a recent star who has been able to do that is Lady Gaga when she came back with A Star is Born and yeah. this second act in American public life yeah. as uh, all-around American entertainer right. as opposed to being a art school yeah. Uh, provocateur. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's really another element that's difficult because I think the thing that really sets that six to eight year trajectory is that people get bored of the shtick and you have to find a new approach. You know, I always, obviously she's the queen of reinvention. Madonna is, you know, she's in tier one, obviously, but is a great example of what a reinvention is, obviously an image overhaul. She did it, you know, somewhat with every album, but I definitely think about her career in like three or four major epics, which are like the eighties where she was kind of this one thing. And then the way that she like essentially like recrafted her musical approach and who she was in public imagination during the kind of late nineties and early two thousands with her super influential run of albums during that period that were like much more experimental, much less like in the center of like hit making pop radio. The difference is, and the reason Madonna is a success at this and that these top tier artists are a success in this is that even when she radically shifted, people still wanted it. They went along with it. The reinvention was a success. Many artists try to reinvent themselves. So it's not just about attempting a reinvention. It's about somehow changing what you're doing and remaining equally, if not more, popular and that's very very hard to do so I think that's another really important aspect of these upper tiers and definitely of tier two that you've done that at least one time and a couple of the other ones are just you know kind of more bland but you can tour an arena if you're still significantly past your peak like there's certain artists that tour arenas and then you know as their star descends they're playing in smaller and smaller venues and there's certain artists that even if they haven't had a hit in 20 or 30 years they're still able to fill 20,000 seat arenas or even stadiums that speaks to your cultural impact. So that's something that I think about. Plausibly headlining the Super Bowl, I feel like it's rare. Maybe a tier three could sneak into a Super Bowl headlining spot, but I think most of the Super Bowl headliners are probably up here somewhere. I think those are kind of the main ideas for tier two. All right, so that's the absolute upper echelon. Mm -hmm. Tier one icons, tier two megastars. Mm -hmm. Moving on downwards, we've got tier three, which are the, quote, mere superstars. What is unique to this category? I think this, again, I'm glad we talked about sort of like this six to eight year time period. I know I'm harping on it, but I really feel like this is kind of like a bedrock here, which is these are people that are either still in that first six to eight year swing so we don't really know if they're gonna break out and go to tier two or one or they never broke out of this like they had a very successful let's call it like first period of success 
but didn't move beyond that. That's how I see this. Like, it's one to three albums, five to ten hit songs. Again, it's not just that you emerged. It's that you emerged and had a very, very successful opening salvo in your career. You know what I mean? Like, I think Ariana Grande is a perfect example of an artist that is probably at the tail end of being in tier three and is, like, kind of at the turning point of, is she going to ascend or is this kind of, like, going to be where she sits forever? It is about that kind of eight-year mark, which is almost exactly exactly to the day like where Ariana's career is at she's a really good example of this I think The Weeknd is another great example of this in terms of contemporary artists and then in terms of artists that kind of I feel are sort of stuck here for better or worse like we just talked about this with Christina Aguilera a great example of uh episode that recently came out you know someone that super successful hit music from 99 to 06 07 and then despite many attempts to reinvent has you know waned dramatically in popularity really good example I think she stands as a great example in terms of somebody that I don't want to bring up my fallback example that I always bring up so yeah I think that kind of lays that out it's like one to three albums five to ten songs a six to eight year run of seeming culturally saturating that either ends or you exit this tier somehow excellent examples we are also going to be doing a quick fire so stay tuned as soon as we run through this, I'm going to make you go through every single one of your placings. Very Okay. <laughs> I'm so glad that we in advance noted them all because I fucking forget all the time what we did. <laughs> all right. Tier four, the working class pop star. What exactly does that mean? So this works again, kind of on two parallel tracks to me. This represents something where it's either that you burned bright and very fast or you burned not very bright for an extended period of time. That's how I would summarize it. You're either Fergie, where you had one gigantic smash album. You know, she had the Duchess, great example. Five hit songs, obviously Black Eyed Peas. She was a huge cultural force, but it was just really short-lived, like confined to a like three to five year period. And then it was kind of over. So that's an example of the bright and super fast kind of pop star. Maybe Paula Abdul is kind of another good example of this. One or two albums that were just gigantic and that was it. So you didn't even make it to the full eight year marker. And then I think what I call kind of like blue color pop stars which are the pop stars that are around on the B and C squad consistently but never really like have a huge moment so we did an episode on Selena Gomez I think she is a fantastic example of this in the pop landscape where it's like obviously her fame is as we talk about in the episode is just way less about pop music and way more about other items but in terms of just pop stardom it's like has been having top 20 songs for the last almost decade but you never feel like there's a moment in pop music where it's like it's selena gomez's year she just took over popular music what she's doing is so powerful and like she's the center of the conversation so i think she's a great example i think demi is also a great example i think sean mendez perfect example of this sean mendez to me is like the emblematic kind of blue collar pop star to me where it's like pretty big for a long period of time but it's just like never feels like what he does breaks through beyond just kind of like the people that seem to care about him for whatever reason all right that is your working class pop stars 
mm-hmm. you have yet to rank anyone into everyone else. Will there Normani. come a day when you... Oh, I stand corrected. Thank you very much, mm-hmm. Normani, our April Fool's uh, <laughs> pop star. Yeah, I mean, this is the challenging category for the podcast, and obviously you and I need to figure out how to get more content on these people because usually these people don't provide enough for a full Pop Pantheon episode. That's kind of the notion here, which is that this is the category for kind of the also-rans or the one-hit wonders or, like, again, one-hit wonder, great example of people that would be in this category, someone that maybe had one big hit and then it was just kind of like, what happened to you? Sigh. Sure. (laughs) That's I was just going to say sigh, yeah, our our Gangnam-style friend. Yeah, and then also all the pop stars that seem like they're going to be huge or they have a lot of buzz going on and it just never converts. Like, obviously, the joke of the podcast in the past was Nicole Scherzinger, who, you know, obviously, if we were going to do the Pussycat Dolls, that would be a different story. But her solo career, which seemed like it was going to be a huge deal in the moment, and then it just, like, nothing connected and it never happened. So, and then, obviously, artists like Normani are in this category. She's right there. Everyone's talking about her. She seems really buzzy, but yet she can't really connect. I sort of see this category as a catch-all for pop starlets or aspiring pop stars that don't necessarily warrant being in any of these other tiers, but are still pop artists who we might reference or talk about, but it just never clicked for whatever reason. Yeah, obviously everyone exists somewhere within the pop pantheon, whether you're vitamin C or Carmen Electra, and (laughs) we will be finding ways to cover all types of pop stardom, but we know you don't want a full episode on vitamin C, so we'll be thinking about it and figuring out a way. Now, Louis, that is the tier system that you came up with yourself. And then three episodes in, you perhaps controversially threw in a bit of an asterisk and created a new designation Uh of niche legend. Yeah. Well, I think that this is really important because, as I said, these rules work for 95% of pop artists, but there's obviously a huge category of stars that don't really slot neatly into these tiers because pop stars has become increasingly niche and there needed to be a way to talk about stars that don't belong in the flop category because their metrics might put them there but they're sort of huge in a cult way and they're super influential and they're relevant for long periods of time without having any hits any classic kind of hits they're sort of the internet stars the gay stars they're super critically adored usually and they manage to have long successful careers not necessarily being Dua Lipa mega pop star mainstream radio stars but they have very long influential respected careers that just don't map neatly on the metrics of the traditional tiers this is a rare group of people most stars work in the pantheon I just want to make sure everyone's clear on that my idea is sturdy but I think there needed to be a way to designate certain unique stars that don't map onto this well, if that makes sense. I think it does. And personally, I find Niche Legend to also be a reflection of how pop stardom has changed over the course of the past 15 years. Yeah. A new lane that has been opened up by some of the folks like Robin, who you have placed into the Niche Legend tier. Yeah, exactly. And the thing that gets complicated is like sometimes these stars straddle in one context. You could see them in the Niche Legend. I think this is where this has gotten a little bit sticky is that Carly Rae Jepsen, great example of someone 
from like you could think of her in tier five as somebody that had one big hit and never really had a big hit again and you could think of her as a niche legend because she's then converted into like one of these stars that we're describing where she's like a cult phenomenon she'll have a career forever being this beloved gay icon cult phenomenon pop star charlie xcx also obviously an impeccable example of somebody that could potentially be in five or four and also be obviously one of these niche legends so robin too i mean robin had a couple big hits in the 90s you know so i think that's where it gets a little bit sticky is sometimes they can seem like they could depending on the lens you're looking at it through could fit into multiple all right you are about to cut right into my artist rapid i I also want to add one other tangential tier that we have addressed in one episode that i think we might come back to in the future which is what i like to call influencers who are not pop stars but who Mm. are important figures that we might address on episodes obviously we did a max martin episode he's not a pop star that would fit into the pop pantheon but is relevant to so many pop discussions and is like obviously a huge force in popular music so we may also do episodes on what i would call influencers maybe they're music executives maybe they're producers maybe they're songwriters who feel germane to this whole idea but don't fit in as like a traditional pop star so that's another tangential category all right, we also have influencers, a sideline somewhere in the Sonic University of yeah, Pantheon. They're just like floating in a cloud to the left of the Pantheon somewhere. Tommy Matola is over there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> All right, artist rapid fire. Okay. From this point on, I want to say, spoilers ahead, if you have not listened to every episode of the Pop Pantheon podcast, what the heck are you doing? Press pause, go back, start at the beginning, listen to every one. And also, like, not for nothing, but to me, I think you'll still get plenty out of the episodes if you yes. get this spoiled for you. But I mean, if you look forward to the reveal, definitely skip ahead or come back to this another time. I'm going to name each artist that you've covered and you're going to name the tier and give me a quick quick reflection. Did the listeners agree with you? Has anything changed? Could they still place higher depending on what happens in their career? Maybe did you make a mistake? Never. Uh, Are you ready, Louis? Yes. All right. Starting off, Ariana Grande, tier three rising near the top of tier three is where you placed her. Yeah, I feel... 100% that's exactly where she is. I literally think Ariana Grande's next album is incredibly pivotal in her career. And I hope that she does something surprising. And I think she needs to. She's got her seven rings and we're waiting to see what she does with her eighth year. (laughs) Yeah. Second, Ciara. You placed her down in tier four. Reaction to that from the fans? Uh, I think they were chill with that. I think that's where she is and that's where she'll stay. I mean, she frankly like kind of also like has a toe in the niche legend category because she's managed to have a career with a very small dedicated fan base. She's had some critically acclaimed records that haven't been particularly huge, but yeah, that's where she belongs to me. She's tier four for sure. Was shocked when my 19 year old students brought up Ciara. Apparently the Zoomers know her. That is surprising. I mean, she's been really influential on artists like Tanache, again, Normani. I mean, she's very influential and she's managed to keep herself in the celebrity conversation in a way that's honestly impressive. And she like has random club hits. I mean, Level Up still goes off in the gay club, but she's a solid tier four. I mean, a great example of somebody who had like really one big, 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 big album. And then it was kind of a downward slope commercially from there. The impetus of the niche legend category, Carly Rae Jepsen, my Canadian. Canadian queen. 
Yeah, she's a patron saint niche legend to me. I mean, she just is the prime example of somebody that's a total cult phenomenon. Most people who aren't like pop aficionados don't get it and think of her as the call me maybe girl. But then there's this whole subterranean world of people that worship her and she'll have that for the rest of her career. And she makes me think that like one of the tickets to a niche legend career is having like just one incredibly beloved underrated album. It seems to be like a big part of this. I think Carly Rae Jepsen could like never release a good album again and as I've mentioned I think on the podcast I am lukewarm on many things she's made since Emotion. She'll always be a queen of the niche legends for just how beloved that album was. Now here's who I see as the patron saint of tier one. It's Madonna. Yeah and I also want to reiterate something I've said in the past which is like we need to do proper episodes on Madonna. I think I said this in a recent episode, but that was before I kind of had realized that for big artists like Madonna with a lot of catalog to cover, we need to do them in multiple parts. I just want everyone to rest assured that we are going to be doing multiple more episodes on Madonna at some point where we really do cover her prime years. So, I mean, yes, I think Madonna is not only tier one, but she is probably, if not the queen, like she's in the tippy, tippy, tippy top of tier one. All right, the tippy top of tier two. Drake. Yeah, this is interesting because we had talked on that episode about how Drake's next project could be like a thing that rocketed him into tier one, but I think it actually did the opposite. I think Drake kind of had his first real underperformer with his most recent record. I think it was pretty critically lukewarm and didn't seem to have nearly the cultural impact that most of his previous work has had. So if anything, Drake is more like solidly tier two to me now than he was before we recorded the episode. Slight update. I love it. Mm -hmm. Another niche legend perhaps the niche legend robin yeah i mean i couldn't have said it better myself for us she's to me when i think of a niche legend i think of robin so that's where she belongs to me for sure spectacular we have lady gaga tier two rising near the top of tier two yeah that's where i see her i mean i think lady gaga's gonna be an interesting one to parse out as time goes on because i do kind of wonder like where her actual pop music power center is at this point you know chromatica felt like a pretty middling success to me i think it's a middling album and i also think it didn't do anything to alter this to me like i think that album was the definition of fan service it just resonated with people that already loved her and i don't think it really connected so far beyond that aside from rain on me which was essentially powered by the fact that she plucked the main girly of the moment as a feature which was obviously smart but i don't think necessarily speaks to her individual power again not to compare them but madonna at that point in her career was making ray of light and music and having number one hits on her own that were people were fascinated by and i don't feel like chromatica had that kind of impact she's obviously made her stardom about so much more than that and i think star is born the soundtrack maybe played that role that did have a huge impact and i think expanded her audience so yes i think she's right where i left her which is that it'll be interesting if i mean she's a super creative intelligent inspired person so perhaps she can find a way to do something musically that feels interesting and is able to make a huge impact in the style of like Beyonce's self-titled album perhaps or something that just feels super impactful but I think that's where she belongs right now 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to see her commercial power on Chromatica, though, you look at the tour. She is doing stadium shows, which not everyone can do. As I mentioned, that's like a tier two. Like, I think Lady Gaga could release flop albums for the rest of her career and do a stadium tour. You know, I don't think that that's necessary. Like, that's the thing about the twos and the ones. It's like, she is a super established legacy artist at this point. The question is, like, is she just a legacy artist now? Or is she someone that's going to continue to shift and change popular culture? All right. Someone who has shifted and changed popular culture in her own day missy elliott in tier three yes i mean she is someone whose influence outweighs maybe her like commercial performance to me but yeah i think there's no arguing that missy elliott had six seven eight years of serious impact and like her influence even outlasts that so she's right where she belongs we love missy Justin Timberlake is a tier two sinking. He is now near the bottom. How low can he go? Maybe this is the one. I mean, I kind of almost see him more as a three at this point. There's just something about the way that he is like reviled that has really impacted his musical legacy. Like, I feel like we're now in a place where we need a counter movement where it's like, actually, Justin Timberlake's music, when it was good, it was really good. You know, I feel like I'm constantly now having a reverse reaction where I'm like, yeah, he seems like kind of like a schmuck now. and he has kind of basic broy energy that's like not appealing and wife guy whatever but Justin Timberlake really did have a big impact on music and made two very 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 great albums to me but I don't know he might be the one that I now see more as like a three and then a two I'm not sure we got a sinker on our hands uh-huh. Celine Dion tier two rising right near the top talk about a legacy well I don't know if she's rising so much as like she's just is tier two at the top. I think this is, you know, obviously everybody finds this controversial. I think she's, I stick by what I said. She's a tier one internationally. And I think, and Russ, I mean, I don't know, maybe we got to find a way to like address this more clearly somehow. But to me, she's a tier two in the United States. I think one of the things that she makes me think about is the kind of innovative quality that most of the icons have. They've done something very innovative. We see them as game changing. I personally do not see Celine Dion that way as much as I adore her. I see her as a great singer who made a lot of great centrist pop music. I stick by that. But I get that her impact is much larger in non-American contexts, and I respect that. We also have an element of language. She has released some insanely popular French language music and we will see that sometimes with pop stars who have Spanish language albums and things like that the South America Central America pop stars have different careers yeah we have that a few different times but yeah at the end of the day it's an American podcast yeah and you're Canadian so maybe you have a different understanding of Celine Dion too I absolutely do listen I've seen her sing Rihanna to me in person so (laughs) (laughs) There's certain episodes I dread in the future, like Shakira. There's a lot of artists that represent this paradigm where like, you know, the United States has a unique popular music market, but is also the premier popular music market for many in their minds. So maybe it doesn't deserve to be elevated on the level that it is, but it just is. So I think if you asked most pop stars outside of America, again, I could be wrong. Maybe I should cut this because people are going to come at me. But like, I do think most pop stars would say that breaking in America feels important to them you know and like Kylie attempted this over and over again I mean it's a really huge important influential marketplace so it matters I think even for absolute international superstars you can see the pains that they have gone to over the years to try to break into America yeah and I'm not saying that that's right I mean America sucks in so many magical ways but like I just think it's reality all right speaking of a non-American who has had an absolutely unprecedented impact 
on the sound of American pop music, your first influencer, Max Martin. Oh, yeah. I mean, what can we say? He is pop-producing king of all time. I also love that episode. I definitely recommend people listen to it. It's just, what a chameleon and just a fascinating figure. All right, we've got a regular schmegular girl from New York in Tier 3. It's Cardi B. I'm fascinated by what's going to happen with Cardi B because I don't feel like music is her top priority. Like, Cardi B strikes me as the type of artist who's, like, kind of a paradigm shifter in popular culture, more so than maybe in music, where, like, I see a lot of artists doing this now. I think Little Nas X is, like, one of the most obvious examples of artists that music is, like, 20% of why we care about them. You know what I mean? Like, even though they're technically first and foremost musicians, I think Cardi B is going to be famous forever and very famous forever. And I'm not totally sure what role music's going to play in it because she doesn't seem that focused on it. Like, she's so huge. She drops like these one-off singles, WAP and Up, and they go to number one and they're great. And I love her music, but she certainly has not rushed out a second album or anything like that. So I am curious where that's going to go. But yeah, I guess she's a three. I mean, it's another one of those sticky situations where it's like, how much does celebrity matter? But to me, she's that's where she belongs for now while we're figuring out what she's doing exactly with the rest of her career. I would love to see a second act in reality television for Cardi B. She was so highly watchable oh my God. on Love and Hip Hop. The most entertaining person in pop culture, like pretty much bar none. I've literally watched her do anything. Now, the most controversial person in the entire pop pantheon, mm-hmm. Kylie Minogue. I mean, does anybody speak more clearly to what we were talking about with Celine? It's like, Kylie Minogue is not a superstar here. Like, she just isn't. Like, she's extremely niche. I really don't think most people understand in this particular marketplace what an iconic superstar Kylie Minogue is in the majority of the world. So, like, she came here and she toured 500 or 1,000 plate venue nightclubs. Like, that's Kylie Minogue's stature here. I love Kylie Minogue. Like I, the Pantheon is cold and hard. It's not my personal opinions. It's about assessing. Oh, it is my personal opinion. So it's not about my taste. <laughs> yes. I mean, she is a global icon and an American niche star. I mean, sorry. I don't know what else to say. I'm sorry. I get so defensive about this because everybody gets <laughs> someone literally like yesterday commented on the Instagram and was like, America is not the world. I'm like, I get it. I understand. I don't I, I don't know what else to say. That's just like what it is. I don't know. It's, some of these things are difficult and 30 and hard to parse. We worship the ground that Kylie Minogue walks on and that is the official stance of the pop pantheon. Maybe we should make a decision about, is this an American pantheon? Is this an international? Like, maybe we do need to make a determination on that. I don't know. It's an interesting question we should think about. Ongoing quagmire. Mm -hmm. Another international pop star who is the border of three and niche legend, Lord. Yeah, I mean, Lord looks increasingly niche legend-y to me. Like, I ended up not feeling great about solar power generally, and I also think it came and went like a wisp of sand in the wind (laughs) on a New Zealand beach. I just, she doesn't seem interested in being a pop star and really like in the traditional ways we think about it, I I think she'd like to be more niche. I think she is making herself more niche. To me, she seems more like she's slipping in towards niche legend and away from the traditional pantheon tiers. And maybe she never really wanted to be a centrist pop star. She strikes me as someone where that like happened almost like against her will or like that wasn't the goal. Yeah, certainly when Royal came out much of an accident yeah i mean that and team are really her only like traditional radio hits so in america in america in, oh my god in america in america in america <laughs>
Yet another Canadian coming up in the Pop Pantheon ranking. Tier 3 rising right on the border of 3 and 2. Justin Bieber. Yeah, if anything, he's risen, I think. I mean, he's had a really successful year. Peaches was huge. This is like one of his biggest albums. And he did so coming off of a like less successful record changes, which I preferred. But yeah, I mean, Justin Bieber is fucking huge and like honestly continues to defy my expectations in terms of his continued relevance. And if anything, Justin Bieber is more tier two than tier three to me at this point. A woman who has a voice but will not be moving in the pantheon placing tier threes tony braxton yeah my girl i love tony braxton so much yeah (laughs) yeah no she's she's not going anywhere i mean she's a quintessential tier three artist to me i think three big albums it was like the 90s were her gig you know those hits live on and endure i love her but that's where she is for sure a tier three from today post malone oh god i think i tweeted this at one point obviously like i spend so much time with these artists and making these episodes from preparing and researching to doing the interviews to editing the episodes for many many days and writing the bios that i record etc so like i end up falling deeply in love with pretty much every single artist we do an episode of. i go through a phase where i'm just like obsessed and my friends are going crazy because i'm just like texting them random videos and th- songs and be like oh my god anyway post was the only artist that that I was so excited to have ridden from my spirit. (laughs) But that's neither here nor there. Yes, Post Malone to me seems like a three in the sense that like he's still one of the biggest contemporary artists as he has been for the last six, seven, eight years. And we'll see where we go from there. All right, bordering niche legend and tier four, an artist who you've talked about a lot, whose latest project is basically a concept piece about the pop pantheon, Charlie XCX. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Charlie's like another queen of the niche legends. I mean, I don't know, maybe internationally we should be debating whether she's different. I mean, she Beg For You was a hit. She got a number one. And she had a number one album. So I don't know. Yep. Maybe she's an international four or three and she's an American niche legend. But she's just so niche legendy, just like in the, je ne sais quoi of it all. She just is that. Like she's just an agitator more than she's like a centrist pop star, even when she tries to pretend she's being a trendster. Like it's just, she's a niche legend. Sorry. Big niche legend energy. Yes. <laughs> Basically the opposite of a niche legend. Tier three's One Direction. I mean, they're done. So... There's nothing more to say about them. I think if anything, they could eventually go from three to four, maybe. But boy bands are t- are difficult because they burn bright and fast, so they can like seem huge in the moment. And like as time goes on, I think about uh, New Kids on the Block or something like that. Like they probably in their moment, I you know I was too, very young at this time, but like in their moment, they seemed just like gargantuan. And then it's just like you know now I'd say they're definitely probably fours. I guess Backstreet will be an interesting when we get to them. That's another interesting. God, they were just so 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 big for like four years. So. Yeah, I think there's still threes, but like they could be on the descent more than the ascent, I think. All right, near Lady Gaga, but perhaps slightly above her, between the border of tier two and tier one, an artist who has not made music in fucking years. (laughs) Bad Girl Riri. Yeah, this was honestly one of the most tough deliberations that we did. I think we landed on the right side of the argument. I think she's just below the icon tier. I mean, she's an icon as a celebrity. I think in the pop universe, I still 
still hold out hope that she will do more things and will put herself over the line. But I think I stand by her being a sort of like tippy top of tier two. Every day I wake up hoping for new Rihanna. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think we're, we're going to talk about this, but of all of the artists that we've discussed on the podcast so far, she's the one that feels like has the biggest capacity to ascend if she played her cards right. But I don't know. Who knows? What does uh, anybody know? <laughs> A tier four artist that you have mentioned as an example of the category, Selena Gomez. Yeah, she's just the emblematic tier four to me. I think she just, as Joe astutely pointed out, I don't think pop stardom is like that big of a priority for her, generally speaking, but she's so huge and she's made a lot of good music and she's had her hits and perfect emblem of tier four. Uh, Speaking of time and how time impacts placement in the Pantheon, it's time after time singer Cyndi Lauper. Another person I just like fell hard in love with while making the episode. Yeah, she was someone we debated four to three, but I think her legacy outweighs her sort of like metrics it's a good example i think of an artist where the rules are made to be broken so to speak like i just think that the way her name gets brought up amongst much bigger stars as an emblem of the 80s i think like speaks to her legacy in the ab episode carl just casually i just noticed this was like yeah we were talking about abba falling out of favor in the 80s or just sort of like receding from popular consciousness And he was like, yeah, you know, like the big stars of the 80s just came and sort of took over the conversation like Madonna and Cyndi Lauper and Michael. You know, she just comes up in that roll call, which I think like speaks to the fact that she may technically feel like a four, but is a three. A real icon and symbol of the MTV. Mm -hmm. In tier four, we have Nelly Furtado. Yeah. I mean, no Nelly. No Nelly. Another Canuck. We've got good Canada representation on this show. You really do. You, I think that you may have placed almost every major Canadian pop star of the past 20 years already into the Pantheon. We've got another big one coming up soon. We can't say, but we have another big Canadian episode coming up. Yeah. I mean, Nelly Burtado, another person who like dug her own grave by not making more music. I love this little triptych of Gwen, her and Fergie in my mind of these huge stars of 04 to 06, who just then just kind of like stopped making solo music for whatever reason. And so, yeah, I mean, Nelly had a huge moment. She's a prototypical tier four artists as we described you know she had her buzzy critical acclaimed first album then she had a flop then she had her massive commercial crossover album and that was kind of it so she's definitely a four in tier two did you survive the release of this episode and the barbs we got Nicki minaj we did i'm still here i'm still strong i think she is a two i think that's a generous interpretation i think there could have been a argument for her to be a three maybe but not really i mean Nicki minaj is someone that has the most billboard hot 100 hits of all time she is so influential i mean she has basically created an entire wide open space that's now like a huge part of pop culture which is all these female rappers who tread the line between pop and rap i mean it's just like doja cat cardi megan the stallion sweetie lotto bia all of these women stand in Nicki Minaj's shadow and she's a titanic figure and 100% I think works as a tier two artist. The second tier one artist that you slotted in the legendary Miss Diana Ross. I mean, does it have to be said? It doesn't. Not only a tier one pop star, I think I said this on the episode, but is also like a tier one American figure, real towering force in our popular culture. And I love her. And has in the family a solid tier five, Ashley Simpson. (laughs) That's an episode I definitely want to do, for sure. (laughs) We have 
the recency coming up, coming in at tier three, it's Kesha. Yeah, I mean, I had a moment with that one where I was like, should she be in tier four? I'm not We had sure. an interesting discussion on the Discord about that yeah. as well. So what do you think? That, that was quite heavily debated. I would probably put Kesha in four. Yeah. It's one of the only ones I've had like a little bit of a creeping regret on because I think that was maybe where my millennial bias came into play because like I was just right in the sweet spot for her emergence and how big she seemed during that first period. But if you really look at things, it was kind of one album. But she was so massive at the time. Like people forget that TikTok blocked Bad Romance from being a number one hit. Yeah, Again, because of the controversy and the legal battle that continues to be like a focal point fascination in pop culture, it made Rainbow feel important and big, maybe more so than its numbers bared out. Yeah, she's like cuspy four to three. Uh, an artist that I think we all would love to see just scale the pop pantheon. When will it happen? Five Normani. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I said everything I needed to say on that episode. Yeah. <laughs> Prayers up. Prayers up. Uh, Tina number three. Yeah, as I talked about in the earlier part of the conversation, great example of a tier three artist, I think. And just last week, you placed ABBA into tier one international and tier two America. I think this goes back to maybe like a conversation we need to have about how we are conceiving of this in geographical terms. I don't know. I mean, ABBA's really a great example of the way the rules of this are, again, made to be broken because so influential. I mean, like probably top 10 most influential pop recording artists of all time. I don't think there's a single pop star that wouldn't say that they like look at ABBA and their music as a huge influence. And like, as we talked about in the episode, kind of like the platonic ideal of pop music, but had eight years of albums (laughs) and like you know it's complicated i'm willing to be accept them in tier one but i think i stand by what i said because my recollection growing up with abba was more of seeing them as unfairly 100 percent as like a little bit of a uncouth thing to enjoy yeah a bit of a gimmick act almost yeah and i think their stature has rightly so shifted thankfully and i Again, this was another episode that I just absolutely like became enraptured with them and have spent the last couple of months just completely in the rabbit hole. Yeah, I, I, but I think I stand by that. And also, if you look at their chart history in America, it doesn't nearly like line up with how the slew of number one hits that they had in other countries. And I think it's really complicated because I think the musical has changed. I mean, I just think everything, they have a very, 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 very unique career trajectory and level of influence that's like pretty singular to them. But yeah, I think I stand by that. That brings us up to the current date. What are you hoping to do moving forward? What kind of people do you want to place into the Pantheon? How are things changing? Where are you at year one in? I only want to get more diverse. I want to do episodes as far ranging as we can possibly fit into this. And I think I talked about this on the listener mailbag episode. I really hope that we get ourselves into a place. And I think we are, we're getting there where like, Every episode feels like it's giving you a different time period, different type of artist, different genre, different level of impact, where we can really... 
really just continue to provide exciting new angles on this topic because I think it's endless and I think the format provides a lot of interesting ways for us to talk about these people and yeah so that's my goal my goal is to move as far and wide as we possibly can while still remaining true to the ethos of the pod pantheon fantastic I've got a fun question to take us out on I want you to choose one person that you are or one act if you so choose that you are personally rooting for to make it to that top tier I'm assuming this means that I also think it's like plausible that they could do it. Is there someone you'd love to see in tier one that it's not plausible? I don't know. No, because I don't think of this tier system as my personal taste. I think of it as facts. (laughs) 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 So many artists are in like the tier one of my heart, obviously, like Charlie XCX is tier one in my house. But like- Me too. Feels like a folly for me to say that Charlie XCX, I hope for her to be in tier one. What? That's not going to happen. Who could plausibly do it? Who you would like to see reach that icon status at the top of the pantheon? I mean, I think it's got to be either Gaga or Rihanna. I mean, they're the only two. I mean, Drake, I guess, but I'm seeing it less and less. But I think it's Gaga or Rihanna. And I think if I had to, I don't know. I could see them both getting there on very different tracks. Like Mm. Rihanna, I could actually see opening up like a fascinating and relevant later chapter in her music career, which I like kind of don't see as much for Gaga, weirdly enough. But I also think Gaga is going to be a A plus list celebrity forever. And I could see her as a share figure, as a Barbara Streisand figure, as a Liza Minnelli type of thing. Like Gaga is going to be an A-list celebrity and musician for the rest of her career. So I could see them both getting there in their own weird ways. But I think those are the only two like real answers that I could see. They're the only ones I can really see it happening for that we've covered so far. And yeah, I could see it for both of them. And I could also see them being happily in tier two forever. (laughs) All right. Well, Brianna is just a smidgen higher on the Pantheon. So why don't you pick a song that is underrated from Rihanna to go out on? Mm. I'm trying to think what we didn't talk about in the four hours of episodes that we put (laughs) did on her. Did we talk about Watch and Learn? I don't know. Let's do Watch and Learn. I love Watch and Learn. That should have been a smash. All right. So here's Watch and Learn. Russ Martin, as always, a pleasure. A pleasure indeed. Bye, Louis. <laughs> Bye. I'm going to do it, do it, do it on the bed, on the floor, on the couch, on the kissy lips and make it to my mouth. Just because I can't kiss back doesn't mean you can't kiss back.